0: Let me first say that I have um, several copies of notes of what I'm about to say, so if you would like to catch them on the um, visitor's desk after we leave, you're welcome to grab them, and if we run out, let me know and we'll make more, more copies. My heart's desire in our conversation here is that we have a burden to share the gospel with others. Not just with the cults, but with everybody. I love the emphasis on Mission Month, the challenge during Wednesdays, Sundays, um, how to share the gospel with whether Catholics, with Mormons. I present this material, and I, I fully believe the stats would be that most Christians are timid to talk to Mormons, at least from what I have read in the past. Um, not sure how to approach conversations. So hopefully when we get through our material tonight, you won't be as timid if they were to come to your door. Um, let me ask you, how many of you have ever talked to Mormon missionaries that have come to your door? Have you had a conversation with Mormons? The Carvers, Jim, Patricia, Miguel, Phil. Um, so a few people have. Um, have you ever talked to somebody other than a Mormon missionary that's Mormon? So a few of you, few of you have. Um, the profit and the advantage of, if I may say, of our discussion tonight, not just towards Mormonism, but it also has a direct impact when we get to the, really the heart of the subject is Christology. Who is Jesus Christ? And that impacts Jehovah Witnesses that are more plentiful um, in our area. If you were to look at, Books of Mormon, and I have their books at at home. They have three main books that they look at. Let me say, P.S., I just want to give a 12-minute background so we can get to really what is the heart, and that is who is Jesus Christ not only with Jehovah Witnesses, but with Mormons. And I hope you bite into this doctrine of Christology and really start to consume it because we need to be defenders of the faith. We need to know what we believe and that you should be able to rattle off verses about the deity of Jesus Christ and to give a reason for the hope that lies within you, right? But their books, Book of Mormons, Doctrine of Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price, as with any cult, the moment you have these books that are equal to the Bible, they become superior to the Bible. And so I I had a conversation, I've I've been on um, two mission trips um, to Utah, and have had had Mormons in my home recently, um, six, seven, eight weeks ago. Just thinking about Mormonism and, and that it's just been a long time since I talked to a Mormon, I started looking up about how do you talk to a Mormon. Then it seemed like every day is opening. You know how you hit a site, it just keeps coming up? It kept coming up on the computer, talk to Mormon, talk to Mormon. Would you like to talk to him? So I said yes. And um, so we had a great conversation in my house. After 20 minutes, they wanted to get out. But I begged them that we could talk for 40 minutes. And so we had a um, Pastor Lordi um, also join me. Um, I just want to bring up a background, a few contradictions within their books, not that I care to get into it, but just so you could see a little bit what you're dealing with because when I talk to Mormons, I make it very clear that I know you accept the King James Version of the Bible, so let's make all of our conversations from that, and we won't get into any of your other books, and that, um, and Utah trips in here has... um, been a good way for me to go. Um, So just a couple things that um, I bring up. They have a book, Alma, and it's located in the Book of Mormon. And Alma states in chapter 7, verse 9, it's in my notes, that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. You know, of course, we know what the Bible says. In Moses, chapter 2, verse 1, Moses and the Pearl of Great Price, one of their books, Moses and Abraham, Um, Consumed. That's all conversations that these two patriarchs had. Um, Moses talks about the Almighty created heaven, and yet in Abraham chapter four verse one it says the gods created the heavens. Um, And Alma again talks about Jesus. um, Says there's only one God, and that Jesus is the eternal Father. Yet this contradicts in the Doctrine of Covenants where it says that there are multiple gods. And I've read a lot of their books. Um, I don't know why, but in seconds, um, Second Nephi FI chapter 5, verse 21, it gives in the Book of Mormon, it s- states that black skin is a curse. Um, you probably have heard that, and yet that seems to be a little altered because there seem to be more blacks that are becoming part of Mormon. In fact, one of the young men that came was a man from, from Haiti, and I so wanted to ask him that question, but I didn't... Get into that because that might be a little bit more um, confrontational. And then one that I've used over the years that I love is Doctrine and Covenants. We're not going to get into it now. But it's three. <laughs> I say that. Here we go. Um, there are three misquotes in there. It was written in 1842 by Joseph Smith. And he f- forecast three things that would happen predicting a civil war. And they all came. They all did, were not fulfilled. And so I asked, what do you do to a false prophet then? Um, he's a prophet didn't come true, and I have told Mormons, well, you know what, my Bible tells me to do to them, but we'll not go there. Um, subject of God is, is um, an interesting subject. You ask a Mormon this question, what is your belief about the Heavenly Father? I'm going to quote to you, or not quote, read um, a statement that's in one of their books. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believe in a deity, Elohim, who was created and reared on another planet. Their Elohim married, had children, and eventually gained a sphere of existence into which he and heavenly mother could place incarnated spirit children, children created through their heavenly intimate physical relations. The first spirit child born to Elohim and the Heavenly Mother was a boy named Jehovah. Eventually, Jehovah was adopted and became the Messiah incarnated called Jesus. As humans, if we follow the plan set forth by Elohim, doing all we can, then we could become like Elohim one day. Um, this is what they say in their Doctrine of Covenant 76, that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed from all their sins, wherefore as written, you'll become God's. Um, 132, because the angels and the gods are appointed there, then shall they be gods because they have no end. Therefore, they shall be from everlasting. Then shall they be gods because they have all power and the angels are subject to them. Um, the goal of Mormons are to become a god. You marry a, um, an individual in the temple and... Then you'll be married and sealed for all of eternity. And then the children you have then have the potential to become gods. Not the to become gods and have their own planets. And yet this is the faith that claims to be, be Christian. Again, just background. Bring them young. Quoted. The Lord created you and me for the purpose of becoming gods like himself. To become gods like our heavenly, the father in heaven. Former President Snow, who died when? In 1901. Um, He was the fifth president, died in 1901. He said this, as man is now, God once was. As God is now, man may become. That is blasphemy. Um, Their view is that God was once a man, he was sired he was a man and he progressed to become Elohim to become God and the goal of men of Mormons is as they are men that they could then become become gods I wanted to ask this question to the two Mormon missionaries and um, I didn't in fact, maybe I did. They just didn't answer, but either way. Say, so, could you help me understand what God was like in your belief before he came into the world? What was he like in your understanding before he came into the world? Because they're going to have to say, as a man, that he was a sinner. And that's where um, it's extremely, extremely unbiblical. And heretical and blasphemous. Um, a couple of these verses that we just see um, on the screen there. Psalm 92, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. And James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. A lights, with whom there is no variables, no shadow of turning. So continually that Christ, God, I should say is holy. Um, before we get to Christology, turn with me real fast to Isaiah chapter 43. This is my, the heart of this God theology that we have, the the show with Mormons. In Isaiah 43, Um, when I was in Utah in 96, we went, we took a family vacation and I was on one side of the street with one or two daughters and Lynn was on the other side with one or two um, until she wasn't feeling so well because Josie was on the way and then I just took all of the girls knocking on doors. I would continually get in every home because they're proselytizing so I'm in dozens and dozens of homes during the week. And this was my go-to passage, Isaiah 43, verse 10. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be after me. 11, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. Chapter 44, verse 6. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there's no God. 44, 8. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. And in chapter 45, Verse 8, I am the Lord, there's no other besides me, there's no God. Verse 18, verse 21, um, I got to stop on this point. Um, Get my notes, there's more on there. Um, They say that God is flesh and bones. The Bible teaches that God is a spirit. Um, They say that God is not omnipresent, that he's limited, but the spirit of God is omnipresent. But God Elohim himself is limited. Um, that God is the only true God in the universe, but there are other gods. Back two years ago, um, this is Caleb and Bo and Matt and Eric, my son-in-law, and Alan. Tim Ferry, you're not in that picture. Where are you, Tim? <laughs> he laughed. He got disgusted. Um, we we were flying out of um, Salt Lake City at a certain. At I forget the time. And we popped into the Mormon Tabernacle. They open at 11. We're standing at the door, and Robert comes to the door. And Eric says, "Hey, can can we come in and, and just see the place?" And he let us in. He happened. He turned out to be the organ tuner. Um, incredible uh, opportunity. Eric is playing the organ, um, and he then took us in an incredible tour of it. But I want you to hear now for just one minute because I can't stand to listen to it any longer. One minute to song, Steve.
1: Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made, I see the stars. I hear the mighty thunder, the power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou then sings my soul, my Savior God, to me. How great Thou art, how great Thou art.
0: I, I love the song, don't get me wrong. It just hurts me to hear him sing it. Um, Mormons have a chump God. Uh, They don't have the God that we have. Oh, yeah, maybe he's great. He was a man that was a sinner that progressed to become um, this Elohim and have spirit children. And it's just a perverted God that they have. But our God, how great thou art. A God that's all-powerful, all-holy, all-present, never sinned, has been eternal. Um, Completely different view. I want to turn now to the heart of really our discussion is the, on Jesus Christ. The key question is always, who is Jesus Christ? That's the key question for everybody, not just for a Mormon, not just for a, a, a Jehovah Witness or any other cult. After the disciples were on the storm, stormy Sea of Galilee that some of us enjoyed this, this summer, And as Christ quieted the storm, they looked at Christ with their eyes bugging out. Who is this person? In the next chapter, Christ would ask that question in Luke chapter nine, verse eighteen: "Who do men say that I am?" And so, the key question that I ask tonight: Who is Jesus Christ? And I say to you, my dear church family we must be able to defend this doctrine. This isn't just something for theologians or somebody that, you know, decided to go off to seminary or take Bible Institute classes. It really is something that each one of us must know. We should be able to defend is, who was Jesus Christ? How do I show that in Scripture? Because people all around us, whether it's, it's um, cults or whether it's people in mainline denominations or people that are lost, we ought to be able to show them from Scripture who was Jesus Christ. So turn with me, please, if you would, to, to Colossians chapter 1. The 15th president, Gordon Hinckley, said, when asked if Mormons believe in the traditional Jesus, said, no, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak, speaking of Christians, is not the Christ of whom I speak. And that was in Crowns of Head Gospels or Head Church News. Um, so the question I want us to ask is, the origination of Jesus, there is none. He didn't have a beginning point. He is the eternal God. But they say that he had a beginning point. I want us to look in Colossians 1, 15, 18. And it saddens me to even turn us here. Because how can I do justice to a passage that deserves a, a great hour? But if you would give me maybe two minutes in this passage, it's pretty awesome. He is the image of the invisible God. Verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Right in verse 15 we have this verb is. Is. It's in the present tense. It doesn't say was, it doesn't say he's going to become, but it says he. Um, it says is. It's viewing the timelessness of Jesus. He is in the very present. That was true a million years before verse 15. It's gonna be true a million years afterwards, it's continually in the present. The eternal status in God's image and eternity past, eternity present, eternity futures in view. Christ is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 19 and chapter two verse nine, powerful statements as to the, how the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Christ. That everything that God Elohim Almighty had were present in were present in Christ. Everything. And we look at. Verse 16, it says that in him, everything was created. So if Christ created everything, what's the conclusion? That he was not created. Because you can't create everything and be created. So it says he created everything. And so then more Jehovah Witnesses would say this than, than Mormons. But what about firstborn? Um, firstborn right there, I mean, how many of you were born first in your family? You know, so some of you, good job, Ethan. So we say, well, firstborn, first to come into the family. So that's what it means. But there's a secondary meaning to this word, and it's priority of position. Um, If you look in the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, and you look in Psalm 89, um, 27, I think, 20 20 or 27, um, it says that David is the firstborn. Well, David is the seventh son but there is using that word firstborn showing his priority of position so let the context determine what does the word firstborn mean and you see in verse 18 that he in everything he might be preeminent that he might have priority of position so when we look at Jesus Christ he is the eternal god He didn't have a beginning. Contrary to what cults or anyone would say, these are verses that we must know to be able to push them and show them this is what the word of God claims. This is what the word of God declares. LDS 70 member Milton Hunter said, Jesus became a God and reached his great state of understanding through consistent effort and continual obedience to all of the gospel and universal laws. Two things of every cult. They're going to say that they're going to have a lesser view of Jesus and it's always by works that you get whatever you're looking to achieve. Um, a relationship with God or to become a God in the future state. So they have Jesus as lesser being but he accelerated, climbed to this position by obedience. So what's that tell you? Two things in sharing the gospel. We've got to know. What are them? What are the two things? One, how do I defend the deity of Christ? And secondly, you better know verses that show that it's not by works that a person gets to heaven. And it wouldn't be bad to know more than just Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Hebrews 13, verse 8 states that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If Jesus progressed, then that verse is a lie. It says in Micah 5 verse 2 that he is from ancient days, the one that was coming, born in Bethlehem, from ancient days. That's a phrase that's referring to eternity. Or Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 calls the Messiah the everlasting father. You know, the Jews viewed this phrase everlasting father, ancient Jews considered it as um, indicating the eternality of the Messiah. He wouldn't have a beginning the eternality of the Messiah, and that's what Isaiah the prophet is declaring. Um, John one thirty, um, John the Baptist speaking of Jesus, of uh, the Messiah. After me comes a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. But John the Baptist was born six months earlier. So I mean, there's just verses that are chock full in the scriptures. Revelation one eight, but there are my notes. Um, we see all of the scriptures that give proof, that give evidence into the eternality of. Christ that he's an eternal eternal God let me read you this quote because it, it's, it really is important We're going to, to see what they're saying Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints website and I quote the book of Mormon has a high Christology that is the doctrine of Christ is thick and heavy on the pages of the scriptural record and the testimony of the divinity of the Lord and Savior is powerful and direct one cannot read the book of mormon and honestly come away wondering what the latter day saints believe about the divine sonship the book of mormon establishes clearly that jesus christ is that jesus is the christ the eternal god manifesting himself to all nations that sounds like pretty christian right i mean to say that he's the eternal god and that's 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 pretty awesome but here's the catch what is a question when they say that Jesus is the eternal God? What's a question that maybe should pop up? What do you mean by eternal? I mean, I'm just assuming like eternal means forever. But when they speak of Jesus, they're not speaking about as eternal as always existent, but meaning that he from that point always will be. So from his beginning point, now they're looking forward. Now he's eternal. Oh, we believe in the eternal Jesus Christ. Well, once he was, after he was sired by God. So it's important that we, we when talking to, to cults or people, period, that we understand what they're saying and define our terminology as the eternal meaning, as Hebrew says, the same yesterday, Today and forever. The second point I want to hit there are four points, and you're gonna run home tired after all of this racetrack. Incarnation of Jesus that he became flesh. And notice the word, he becomes flesh. But what was he before he became flesh? Isaiah seven fourteen says the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he'll be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God is with us, but it's bearing a son. He's, he's coming into existence, but he's existed already. Matthew 1.18, um, she was found to be a child with the Holy Spirit. Um, John 1.14 says that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, but you got to look at the background. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of the eternality, union between two persons that are spoken of in that chapter the Father, God, and the Son, the Word. And then, verse 14, the Word then stepped down from the heavens. And we're going to look at Philippians in a moment that, that brings that out. One of their apostles, McConkie, said, Christ was begotten by an immortal Father in the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. Their 13th president, Taft Benson, said, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the most literal sense. The body in which he performed his mission in the flesh was sired by that same holy being we worship as God, our eternal Father. So, yeah, Mormons can say they believe in the eternal God, the Son, but it's from that point after he was sired and moving forward. I want to talk about the personhood of Jesus on earth. Um, turn with me, please, back, if you're in Colossians, just back two pages to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Um, verse 6, Philippians chapter 2, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, though he was. That's really, that's a present participle. So it's in the present tense, this participle. And Paul is talking about a possession of divine essence that Jesus Christ had when he came to this earth. He didn't Progress in his obedience and God rewarded him with deity. It is saying that he was in the very essence of God. Whatever God's essence, whatever the form of God was, Christ was in that form. Um, what does form mean? Um, we're, um, John Mark Utterson is a great coffer, Bob Dunn is a great coffer, and, and John Butler, you're getting there, aren't you? <laughs> um, yeah, and so if you were to see a golfer, you might like look at one of these men and say, man, they had awesome form. Well, you're not going to say, well, they had nice pants on and look at their, their shirt it matched their pants. It's their inner coordination of their muscles that are being expressed in an outward form. So this word form is the inner essence of one's person as expressed outwardly. That's what morph, that's what form is meaning. So who was in the form of God, his inner essence, the same as God, in the heavens, it was being expressed outwardly. It was easy. If you were able to stroll down Main Street pre-birth of Christ, you'll see him and all of his attributes and glory being demonstrated publicly in the heavens. So that's what he's saying here. Who, speaking of Christ, he was in the form of God. But he's looking at that form of that privileged position in the heavens. It says, but he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He says he's this equality in the heavens, the equal expression publicly of their deity of who they are. He says he did not hold that public external expression in the form as a position to be held onto. Um, namely, he took on the form of a man, it's incarnation. You can't walk around on as a man and have all of the deity and attributes expressed outwardly. They have to be, and that's the word, emptied. Emptied, null, and void doesn't mean he said, you know, here I'm chucking my deity, I'm taking my omnipresence, my omniscience, I'm leaving them all in heaven, I'm going to earth, I'm going to be. No, Christ had everything still in him. He just chose not to use them. Luke 4, letter of the Spirit. The Spirit he depended completely on his spirit. So it's all shielded, all held within uh, within his person, not outwardly, publicly using them, yet at moments. We have flashes of his power and healing, flashes of, at the transfiguration. Um, Christ did not empty himself of any attributes. So we, we look at these qualities who, being in the form of God, thought are not something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a man. Christ was both God and man. Christ lost nothing when he came to this earth. Christ set aside nothing. He had every attribute, every aspect of his being. From the time that he was born until he suffered an excruciating death, he lived a perfect human life, completely god Completely man, we call that. You use terms like hypostatic union, combining the two natures, theanthropic man, theo god anthropic man, the god man, the fusion of two persons, completely God and completely man. Uh, that's what Scripture teaches. He didn't have to become something. Um, looking at some of the characteristics of, of, of Christ, Jesus was one with the Father. Where's that verse in the Bible when he says, I and my Father are one? Go ahead, Tim. Okay, John. Oh, Dennis, I meme, mean, right on. Chapter 10, verse 30. Um, the whole gospel of John is chock full of awesome statements, the I am's the person of Christ, but I and my Father are one. Jehovah's Witnesses will say, well, you know, he's saying one in a sense of unity, that I want to have the same goals and person, but that's not what the audience of Jesus um, heard. They took him to be saying more. They wanted to kill him for it because he was committing blasphemy. Um, but yet he was one with the Father, and yet he had a human ancestry in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3. He was recognized as God, and yet he thirsted, he hungered, he wept. Um, two great verses, Hebrews 1, eight. but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And then towards the end, we looked at this um, verse a couple of weeks ago, 1 John 5, Son of God, we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What an awesome statement John just puts right out there, the deity of Jesus Christ. He, so Jesus Christ is both God, um, fully incarnate, fully in his person, but yet also man. Um, Colossians 2, 9, fullness of God dwelt in Christ, and yet Christ was dwelt in, in bodily form on earth. He got tired. He fell asleep in the boat. He was exhausted. So you're seeing both coming together in the person of Jesus Christ. He was the creator of all things. Colossians uh, 1 says that. John 1.3 says that. Hebrews 1 says that. The ones. John, Colossians, and Hebrews 1, 1, one They each talk about him creating everything, and yet he had a human birth. He is born of the Virgin Mary. Um, He was a forgiver of sins in Mark chapter 2. They wanted to kill him because only God can forgive sins. And yet he was worn out. He was tired. Um, Before I get to my last point, worshiping God is a huge statement of the deity of Christ. Who worshiped God? Um, Where did Christ speak of worship? That's two questions. Where did Christ speak of worship? What's that? John four. Okay, John 4, uh, with the woman where you should worship. Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus, when Satan is tempting and going back and forth, what does, God, what does Christ say? That only God was to be proskuneo, only God was to be worship, Right? So he's establishing only God was to be worshipped. Yet that same Greek word is used repeatedly through the Gospels that Jesus accepted worship. That's a powerful point, if I may humbly say, that the Bible presents. Um, Peter, don't worship us. We're just men. Angel, don't worship me. I'm just a messenger. Man and angels continually stopping proskuneo, stopping worship, but Jesus receives worship because he's God, the eternal God. Last point, the purpose of Jesus. You know, we look at all that we've looked at and sharing the gospel with Mormons to understand their view when you're talking to them, their view of God, their view of Jesus. But you use just the scriptures, none of their books, and able to show them that Jesus Christ is the eternal one. Yesterday, same yesterday, today, forever. He's in the image of God, that he was in the form of God, in the absolute essence, that he's God himself. But he's also the God-man, he's incarnate. He didn't become God, he was God when he was still man. We show all of this fact. And then we're strong in presenting this is what my Jesus did. This is why he came. Because I couldn't save myself. Because I was, I am a sinner. I was not able to. And we show verses in the Bible, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, and we show Galatians 2.21 and Galatians 2.16 and keep showing scripture where, where it shows that it's not by keeping the law. Romans five eight. Who can quote it? My, where is it coming from? Go ahead, Miguel. There is good, not even Say that again. There is good, not even well, in no, Romans five eight, God commendeth His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we we see that while we're in the state of being a sinner, Christ died for us. It says in Hebrews chapter 9 that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, and that God was looking for a better sacrifice than in verse 26 that Christ put away by the sacrifice himself our sin. So, know these verses that we're just able to share and show them. I needed a Savior because I could not save myself. There were probably, in going to Israel, three or four spots that I that I loved. Um, this would be one of them. Um, I love them all, but highlights, um, new spots. I should say new from my previous two trips. And I always wanted to just wander the, the hills of Bethlehem um, and just didn't do it on either trip, nor did I really do it on this trip. But when we came from the shepherd's cave and people were using a—I'll just leave it as a building— I went to the back end of the property and just stood for five minutes and just tears started to come down as I envisioned what happened in those hills some 2,000 years earlier. That our hero God came because I needed to be rescued. I had a sin problem, I couldn't pay for my own sin. And they kept talking about that story of hope that one day he would come. That incredible prophecy that the redeemer would come. After man's perfect creation, God created and man fell. We need to be redeemed. And after Malachi gave his last prophecy, it was 100, 200, 300, 400 years of silence. Then on that night, as the shepherds are watching their, their flock, the angels lit up the sky For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, a Savior. We needed a Savior. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Baptists, Catholics were not able to save ourselves. We needed a Savior. If I could save myself, then Christ really messed up because he didn't need to come. But Paul writes in Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate, I do not make empty the grace of God. If righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. But he didn't die in vain. My Savior came. I'm going to close with this this song. Um, I know we, we, we sang it Sunday. Um, but I had been listening to this for a couple of weeks, so I really had a plan before Dave. Um, Dave played it. Um, it's an awesome song, and just putting it all together. Who is our Jesus? Who is this one that came for us? Lord, we crown you, Lord of all, because we know that you are. And God, I crowd in my own soul for my own life and for each of us that we would crown you Lord by our obedience to you go into all of the world and proclaim the gospel may we go in our neighborhoods God may we become students of the word and know it so that we can share it with the lost, so that we could point them to you God we know our own testimonies May we know the word that you've given us. Bring people into our path. No, Lord, may we see the people that you bring into our path. May we see the divine appointments that you allow to cross our path on a daily basis and be open to share the word with them. God, thank you for Jesus Christ, God the Son, our Savior. I pray in Christ's name, amen.